Welcome everybody to Black Coffee and Theology. Welcome back to the pod, everybody, and hello. (laughs) I hope you all are doing well, and I hope you all have left a good rating and review. I see you, party people, and... Anyway, moving right along, on this episode of the podcast, we have another brilliant guest. We have the wonderful Terrence Lester, and he is in the midst of his PhD studies. I want to make that clear because during the interview, I said he had already obtained the prize, but he is working diligently towards the prize of that PhD. And Terrence is such an amazing human being. He has an amazing organization that uh, helps to provide uh, a number of resources to those who find themselves without shelter and find themselves without food. And he is just amazing. He, yes. I can't wait for you guys to tap into this conversation. And so we talk about those who do not have an address. We talk about justice. We talk about uh, a lot of things that are hidden and made manifest in the heart of God and that are displayed uh, in the way that God deals with uh the poor and the marginalized in this conversation, right? And so we also talk about uh, Terrence's two books, one of which has come out recently, When We Stand, The Power of Seeking Justice Together. So get into it, get into it, get into it, get into it. And okay, and so later in the podcast, I'm going to be reading a snippet from that book when we stand. (laughs) And so sit back and relax and enjoy this episode of the podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back to the pod. And I am joined by the esteemed Terrence Lester, welcome to the pod, PhD, Terrence Lester, <laughs> welcome. Hey, Robert, um, it's great to be here, man. And I, I can't allow you to call me a PhD just yet. Uh, I'm still a student. You're there. You are. You are making your way. You are. Make, yeah, making my way, brother. You are. There. You're on the cusp of it. You are on the cusp. Um, and I wanted to say a few things, uh, about you and then have you say a few things about yourself. Um, I'm really, I am really excited about having you on because I have been tracking with you on the Twitter streets, uh, for a while. And I know social media gets a lot of (laughs) backlash for being toxic and all the things that it isn't but i i think i started following you maybe it was a year year and a half ago and i was really intrigued by a lot of the things that you were saying and that you were doing in ministry 
And what I love about you is that one, you're raw and honest <laughs> in that you just say what you have to say and then you're done. <laughs> and uh, some of the like brightest presence uh, that I find on Twitter um, is that you just, you're done. <laughs> like there isn't a whole lot of back and forth. Like you're not really there for like, um, hey, I'm arguing with people online. <laughs> like you just like hear this is the nugget of truth we're done <laughs> like you're not there for hmm I wonder what you feel about that <laughs> and um no but I really have enjoyed both seeing the updates on your ministry what you have going on but you do share vulnerable pieces of what's going on as well and I have so enjoyed seeing you and the pieces of your family, seeing who you are as a black man and what you bring to the table. So one, thank you for that. And thanks for coming on the pod. Man, I, I really appreciate um, you seeing me. And uh, that is in no way disrespect uh, to those who are without sight. Um, but when I, I talk about this type of seeing, I'm, I'm talking about um, this acknowledgement of one's existence, uh, you know, devoid of meeting some type of expectation or uh, measuring up to a societal standard or, um, you know, trying to be what other people want me to be, right? Um, the fact that you acknowledge me as a Black man um, that is loving my family means so, so very much to me because my family is a huge part of um you know my fight to show up every single day especially uh, my children um you know I, I normally say that i'm hustling for my last name and not my first and you know you'll probably catch that later if you're listening to this but that that means that all of who i am uh and all of what i'm giving is to build a legacy for uh my children um, and also, uh, you know, along the way, brother, just trying to model what I feel is, is a, is a response, uh, uh, to, um, how I, I, I see myself following Jesus, right? Um, yeah. So thank you for having me, bro. Yeah. And that, that kind of segues to like what I usually ask a guest first and foremost before I bring to the table what is you know what we're talking about is what are the most important things that you would say about yourself and you kind of already <laughs> kind of already segued into it like when people see you um, what are the most important things that you would communicate about yourself um, mm. yeah um, now I'll never forget, I was giving a, um, a talk, uh, for the independent sector. I had just been given, uh, this American Express award and they wanted me to talk about leadership, uh, for five minutes and what it meant to me. And I really struggled with putting together this five minute talk because I never got into the work of ministry or the work of advocacy 
um, to be deemed as someone to be looked at in this light. I never even signed up for this. Uh, one of the things that I, I lifted up in that speech is that the only thing I ever wanted to do was show up. And when I say show up, show up with my whole heart uh, to ensure that those who are before me, whatever social location I'm in, felt um, the compassion, uh, the sense of belonging and felt seen because I know in my historical shaping what it feels like to be unseen, uh, to be overlooked. Uh, to be misunderstood and to be uh, in many ways outcasted. You know, it's no secret that, um, you know, I experienced homelessness as a teenager, um, you know, would have educators kind of label me, uh, not understanding uh, my social location or social context that I emerged from. Um, I had all sorts of struggles in my family dynamics. And so, I experienced a, a great sense of pain, but um, when I realized uh, that there was a divine uh, creator um, that fashioned me, a lot of my identity that was being placed in the environments that I was in shifted uh, to this knowing of the inherent worth and value that I possess uh, just by living and breathing. And when I caught hold of that, I said, that's it. You know, I want to ensure that everybody I come before, those who are considered uh, people who have seats at the table and those who don't even have a table, realize uh, that they are the beloved and a part of the beloved community. And so if I could say anything, bro, about what I feel like I represent its heart, um, is giving my all, it's embodying what I believe as a practice a, a, instead of some theoretical, esoteric um, knowing in your mind is, is what I can actually live out about what I believe. And it's um, being a, a good neighbor, bro. Um, and I, I don't say that lightly, uh, because when I say the word neighbor, I'm talking about anybody that I'm proximate to, um, which sometimes gets uh, polluted uh, because people like to pick and choose demographically who their neighbor is and who isn't. Yeah, say that. <laughs> yeah. And that's awesome. It, and that segues into our conversation because we're going to be talking about understanding um, kind of the work that you do, which is around homelessness and justice theologically and kind of digging into that and how that has shaped the two books that you have written, especially this last one, When We Stand, and the first one, both, which I have loved. <laughs> and you look, you writing a you writing a third one now. <laughs> and um but uh, with what you were just saying about that neighbor piece, as we're talking about homelessness and justice theologically, let's dig into that, that neighbor piece, because I think so often when people 
whether it's in the academy or in the pulpit, when we go to talk about homelessness or doing works of righteousness, there seems to be this disconnect about uh, the, you know, works of justice and people talk about the social gospel and, and there seems to be, oh, well, we don't have to focus on that because, um, that seems like that's a, that's a social issue. That's a justice issue. And there seems to be this whole disembodied way of understanding Jesus. But I love what you just brought up about, um, it can be as fundamental, uh, as, who do you say that your neighbor is? Um, and it doesn't have to be a disconnect from the actual gospel. So talk to uh, me just a little bit about how that connects to the ministry that you do with homelessness. Um, yeah. All great points, man. I, I see uh, the God's justice and God's righteousness as being inextricably linked uh, together, yeah. uh, that you can't separate the two. And when we talk about justice, obviously we're talking about um, right actions, but when we talk about uh, righteousness, we're talking about this right posture of heart, right? Um, and so, I, you know, as a black man uh, in this country, I was black before I was Christian. And I'll, I'll say this, and I say this uh, to many of you know, my white brothers and sisters, that just because I follow Jesus doesn't mean that I won't experience any type of social exclusion. As a matter of fact, <laughs> um, I can be black and Christian, I can follow Jesus, but that doesn't mean that when I'm pulled over uh, that a police officer won't call multiple officers. And I've been in these situations before and I've had to prove myself because of a mistaken identity. Or when I walk down the street, uh, have someone clutch their purse or walk across the room. Um, there even been times, there was this one time I was invited to give a, a talk about compassion at a predominantly, in a predominantly white space. And the people who invited me had other persons working, I walked in and they followed me around. They didn't even know I was this, the speaker. That's <laughs> um, a mess. <laughs> yeah, until I was, uh, they were, you know, given the bio or whatever. And I started to walk towards the stage and they followed me almost until they realized I was the one uh, communicating. And so like, I, I don't see any separation because I emerged from uh, black church context between um, justice and liturgy or justice and our worship of God. As a matter of fact, it's been a part of my historical shaping uh, that Jesus has been a liberator. Uh, God has been a liberator that has walked uh, with uh, people who have been oppressed by systems unjustly. And it was the cornerstone of faith uh, that Black persons use to actually push through uh, the sufferings that we have had to endure and still endure, right? And so I don't see any separation. The other part of this is um, that Jesus himself experienced injustice. Remember Herod sent the decree 
to wipe out all the first male born. It wasn't, it it was only because of angel of the Lord warned Jesus's family that they had to move. He was displaced. Yeah. I know many brothers and sisters who've been placed because of uh, people in political authority have enacted uh, policies uh, that made it harder for them to afford uh, the taxes on their homes, or they have been gentrified because predatory investors have come in and bought up and drove up the prices of houses and, and uh, poor people have had to move. Jesus, Howard Thurman says, was poor. He was under oppression and he was a minority, right? And so right. Uh, that's a relatable, a very relatable um, point in why I choose to show up for those who are living on the margins. Jesus himself said, I don't even have anywhere to stay. <laughs> Um, and it, he's worshiped on Sundays, but people who worship him, some people will walk past people who are also experiencing homelessness on the streets. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, when I, when I look at our brothers and sisters, uh, without housing, I choose to see Jesus in them. I choose to see their worth and value, um, and their inherent, inherent dignity and worth. Um, and I want to affirm that in every single way. And I don't want to have a personal theology devoid of having a public theology. I think it's essential that we also talk about what God is saying about what is going on that is oppressing uh, the people who are suffering with injustice in this world. What's in my cup? What's in my cup? Now's the time of the podcast where I share with you what's in my cup. So what's in my cup today? It is a frappuccino from a big coffee chain. And they are not giving me any sponsorship dollars. (laughs) So I'm not going to shout them out specifically today. But yeah, Frappuccino is what's in my cup, a cold Frappuccino, because it's cold. So yes. Mm. Yeah, I I love what you're saying there, because what I hear in what you're saying is that you don't have what has often been preached from certain pulpits of this personal um, salvation that is devoid of communal care, right? And that is devoid of communal liberation, right? Right. That, you know, I'm going somewhere off to a personal heaven (laughs) And, um, and that salvation is communal and salvation and liberation is communal, right? And, and that's what I'm hearing interwoven through your words. And there seems to be something there that you are reaching for. Can you maybe tease out what is it in your mind that you are ultimately reaching for in your work? If you could maybe spell it out for people, what, when you are doing your work, what is it that you're hoping for, for the people of God and also for the individual that on the street mm. and, and in homes, what do you, what is it that you're hoping for? 
Yeah, I, well, firstly, I'm hoping uh, that people realize that all of us are poor in some way, uh, some materially, yes. uh, many of us immaterially, right? Uh, I think uh, Audre Lorde says it best when she says there is no liberation apart from community, that a lot of things happen in community. Um, people find their, uh, discover their gifts and talents in community. People discover uh, their passion for living in community. People find support and courage in community. Uh, people find their sense of identity or their historical heritage in community. There are so many things that a community benefits, right? But not only that, being connected to people can become a life source, is what I'm saying. That um, in essence, when we build higher walls, we disconnect ourselves from the very thing that I believe God is communicating that we need to be in a community. Um, with my work, I am in the business of passing the microphone and building longer tables um, and letting people know who have been excluded, who've been marginalized and are made to be feel invisible every single day, letting them know that they belong and they are welcome. Uh, trying to humanize their stories and remind them that they are worth it, right? Um, and that happens in, in community. Our brothers and sisters who are without housing feel the sting of social isolation every single day. Um, we have been using this term social distancing where, well, people experiencing homelessness have been socially distant long before a pandemic. And when we think about what that social exclusion and that social isolation does uh, to, the, to the hearts and minds of individuals who have the courage to wake up without an address, it should compel us uh, to look at them uh, and, and to value them as also being a part of the beloved community. When we don't do that, uh, we are, we are kind of showing our, our cards uh, because I think we have a problem with how we measure worth and value in this country. You know, some most times we measure worth and value based upon like, what school did you go to? Where do you get your coffee? Where do you live? You know, all of these extrinsic things. And what I'm basically saying is that uh, worth and value has to be intrinsic. Once we discover that the worth and value is intrinsic, we start to see people uh, not as problems, but as people going through problems, and we are able to come alongside uh, folks and stand with them until they are strong enough to stand for themselves. Um, and man, I've, I think one of the hardest uh, things that I've seen in doing this work is the, the, the sheer disdain um, and disrespect and callous heartedness towards people without an address. You know, I, I wrote the other day that, you know, if a person tells me that a person without an address is lazy or mentally unstable, then my response to them is that they've never gone a night uh, sleeping in the, the extreme cold or the extreme heat 
they've never known what it feels like to wake up uh, every single day and to pray that someone has a generous enough of, of a heart to, to give them a meal or where they would find a meal. They've never had to worry about all of their belongings that they may possess that's in a bag being thrown away. I'm talking about birth certificates, and identification cards by uh, Department of Transportation because the city wants to put in hostile architecture. They've never known what it feels like to be looked at 24-7 as a disease, right? Yeah. And this is not how, this is not what we read in the scriptures. God calls our brothers and sisters beloved, no matter where their social location is. And so that's what I'm trying to communicate uh, with, with my message. Yeah, and even what you're saying there was so poignant in your first book, uh, I See You, um, How Love Opens Our Eyes uh, to Invisible People. And you have so many uh, stories uh, from yourself and from others that you met uh, while you were uh, living on the streets. And from those who you met, you had so many of those stories. And I think what was so, um, it was, it just, it, it was heavy for me as I, I read that book um, last year. Um, and you're free, you're free to share more on what you, on, on that topic. What, what sat on my heart as I read was the disconnect that happens as um, the social programming of our society to communicate to us that somehow there is this uh, worth in yes. us that if we have a home that is that there's that there's a worth connected there and that yes. there somehow we worked harder somehow we did, you know, the stars aligned, right? And somehow God's favor is there too, you know? And yeah. that somehow people without an address, that there's mental illness there. Somehow God's favor is not resting upon them. There's all these, this social programming, this religious programming mm. that whether we like it or not, it's there, right? Yeah. And when we see people who are on the streets, whether we like it or not, that programming is there. And as I was reading these stories, um, even for myself, who has been affected by uh, by uh, being without a, a home myself uh, and without an address myself, I realized I am not a unaf I'm not unaffected by this. And it was. Um, sad to me to realize that I have this programming too. And so um, do you have any of those stories that are coming to your mind or any thoughts related to, uh, to that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's the worth piece to, to me that you were bringing up that is, yeah. is most resonating with, with my heart right now. Yeah. <clears throat> that man, I was, um, we, our organization launched this museum in 2019 called the Dignity Museum. Um, it's housed in a shipping container and it's an immersive experience that gives people an opportunity to see what it's like on the other side 
of the experience of homelessness uh, using VR, oral stories, um, all types of interactive things. And so, uh, man, a week and a half ago, we're leading this tour and we've had thousands of people come through the museum and people get a chance to really unpack um, their uh, preconceived notions about what it means to be uh, homeless or without an address. And we've had people um, bring K through 12 students. I mean, we've had students openly uh, confessed in the museum, you know, my parents taught me the, to fear poor people, you know, uh, we've had, uh, uh, you know, state legislators come through, uh, one of which, uh, for the first time, shared with her colleagues that she experienced homelessness and nobody knew. Uh, we've had people at some of our stations, we have a station where, uh, you know, you have to to come up with your own sign. We give these prompts and you respond to it. Like, you know, what would you write on the sign if you needed to raise money or beg for money for medication? We've had people walk away from that station and say they can't bring themselves to do anything like that because they've never been in need, right? Um, but I say all that to say is because I had this lady uh, in the museum a little over a week ago and uh, you could just tell she was really convicted. I mean, she said it out of her mouth about the way that she's treated people based upon the secondhand information. Um, she thought all persons experiencing homelessness had a mental health issue or were on drugs. And she learned uh, through this journey that uh, mental health and uh, a drug addiction is not even the leading cause of the experience of homelessness. It's actually job loss, right? Um, and getting ill, um, which is very relevant to the times in which we live. You know, we've started to see a number of people being evicted starting last month in September uh, because they've been laid off or furloughed because of COVID-19. As a matter of fact, research is suggesting that homelessness will increase by 45% by 2023. We actually get more calls now in our organization for new cases of homelessness versus people who've actually uh, been going through that cycle. Um, and uh, she started to go on with her story and she made these statements. She says, you know, I was just so upset at um, uh, this homeless guy um, because I remember I took my daughter, uh, we stayed up all night, we made all these hygiene kits and bags and stuff and I took her to be a part of this group uh, to serve these, I think she used the phrase, these people who are le least, I mean, she was saying, she was talking like this, and then, she, and then we got there, and uh, me and my daughter tried to hand this guy uh, this bag of stuff that we put together, uh, you know, to do good for him, and he didn't take it, right? She's telling me this in the museum, and I go, I respond to her, because obviously there's a group and I say, well, what was in the, uh, the bag? And she starts to list those things. And I asked her, uh, do you actually like any of the things in the bag? And she responds, no. And that was the moment where I could really say what I wanted to say, which is this, just because a person is experiencing homelessness doesn't mean that they don't have a preference. And then when we strip 
people of preference and the power of choice, what we're really doing is stepping on their dignity. I said that and she got silent and she says, well, I never thought about it that way. And you think about the number of people who don't think about how we respond and look down um, and punch down on people and, uh, you know, strip them of their inherent dignity or step on their uh, dignity by the things that we do and say and how we interact with people because we have been falsely programmed to see a person without an address as someone being so least and less than that they don't even have the power of preference or choice. Brother, and that, you know, so there's this, this popular saying, right, from our culture, beggars can't be choosers. And that has become part of the ethos of our world, right? And it speaks to what you're saying. And I always punch back at that because it, it, it's conditioned into us that essentially, if I'm asking or if you're helping someone, you know, they have no right to be choosy. No, that, that, that's, that's wrong. Just because someone is in need they absolutely can be choosy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's like, what equity is, giving yeah, the person what they need. <laughs> like, if, you know, if you're giving me a ride, I don't have the right to be in comfort on the way to, you know, being dropped off, you know. Like, like, like um, you know, yes, it, it, it's, it, it's very toxic to think that I am somehow not worth anything just because I'm in need. Mm. Um, no, every, and this speaks to what you were saying earlier. I truly believe that people are created in the image of God. And just because we are helping them and they are in a position where they need help, they are not stripped of dignity or worth just because I am helping them. And this isn't hierarchical somehow, just because um, I am in a position to help them. I am not better in any way than they are. And I think we get it very much twisted when I, you know, I'm helping them. And I can't even believe they would um, think that they could, um, ask for something else right <laughs> so um, yeah <laughs> a collaborative heart will invite not just surface level diversity but true inclusion and they are not the same while diversity invites people to the table inclusion empowers them to be heard while at the table Diversity without inclusion is shallow marketing. I do not wish to sit at any tables that want my skin for marketing, but not my voice for truth and perspective. Whew. That is a snippet from Terrence's book, When We Stand, The Power Seeking Justice Together. Black Coffee and Theology Pod is a production of Three Black Men, the podcast about theology, culture, and the world around us. 
Follow us on Twitter at 3BlackMen. If you like the content that you are receiving here and want to receive more, whether that is in longer conversations, essays, devotions, and videos from either myself, Sam, or Trey, please sign up for, for our Patreon at patreon.com slash 3BlackMen. Don't forget to like, rate, and review Black Coffee and Theology Pod as well as 3BlackMen.